Welcome to How Do You Engineer, your engineering podcast that starts with traditional engineering and can branch into a multitude of different areas. I'm a host, Peter Martin. I'm a host, Abby Desjardins. And I'm a host, Sam Whitmel. And this week, we are joined over Skype by Adriana Basso, who's going to tell us about all of the crazy things you can do with an engineering degree. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> so crazy. <laughs> No, I, it, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting because we already know people who have done lots of crazy things with their engineering degrees, but it's always great to hear that, uh, you don't have to necessarily be what you imagine yourself doing when you leave high school going into an engineering degree doesn't necessarily mean that you get out of your degree and you have to get stuck with that, the drudgery of that job if that's not what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's also like we've touched on this before, like you were saying with episodes like Jason's and Dom's and stuff like that, where people, get stuck in engineering or or get into a particular part of engineering and kind of want to bail or do something different or get sort of uh, sidetracked into a different kind of engineering discipline. But it's the same core skills that you can use again and again. So it's topical. Well, and yeah, mm-hmm. and you also it's the uh, the sunk cost fallacy here of like, okay, I built up this particular skill set. All right, now I'm going to only use that skill set forever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So in order to fly in the face of that, why don't we use a skill set that we don't have to engineer something we don't know about? So we were having a discussion at work one day over coffee, talking about how great it is to live in an apartment building because they have a chute that you put your garbage in and then you never have to think about it again. Mm-hmm. And we were bemoaning the fact that we don't live in apartments and therefore don't have such a shoot. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Living I think in houses that... is the worst. <laughs> I uh, know. Property. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it, it's, it gives you such a first world problem because I used to live in, a par- in an apartment like that. And I was like, I have a shoot that takes my garbage away. But I'm angry that I don't have a shoot that also takes my recycling away. No. Oh, my life is so hard. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to feel terrible throughout this whole thing because like growing up, my parents lived in a, a house in the country that was like three stories and having to wander around and pick up all of the garbage cans was just like the most arduous thing I'd ever have to do. But there was a laundry chute <laughs> from my closet into like the laundry room. So I had, I had half of it done, but just not that's the awesome. garbage awesome. collection. Yeah. The number okay, of so times first- I considered uh, like sliding down it, oh, you would not believe. I can't believe. I still can't <laughs> believe I didn't one day slide down it because that was always in the back of my mind. Like, was it angled or was it just like, like a vertical shaft? It was straight like, down. And there, was, legs? there was an angle at the end, so I always figured that I, I'd be able to pull it, pull it off somehow if I tried. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> you'd somehow not break all yeah. your bones. Well, you know, you're lying in bed at night and you're just like, oh man, if some sort of killers break into my house and they're going to murder everybody, I need to escape. I can always escape down the laundry chute. All right. Okay. So, so garbage. That, so, yeah. Well, okay. That that it's on a, hits on a point. If you're going to gather all your garbage in the basement, then you can still have chutes, I guess. That's like, true. Everything but is, could is go. Is that more convenient? To, then you have to bring it upstairs and to bring it onto the street. Well, unless we could ha- unless they collect it from the basement. It smells. You less, could have though. like, yeah, yeah. Especially because the basement would be nice and cool most of the time, so it'd like keep your garbage from getting that gross sitting out in the sun smell. Yeah, that's true. And then you could have like an auger that just like augers it out to the side of the road. <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> like like one one of those things it's a uh, like the garbage disposal it just shreds everything up into like a fine pulp and then like augers it out. It extrudes it into the bin by the side of the garbage side of the road yeah. in a paste. The garbage man will love that. <laughs> 
is the solution like more hardcore garbage disposals? Like, like just everything, everything goes in my sink. Huh. Yeah. It just, but it also has to be in every sink, though, because I'm not going to carry all my stuff to the kitchen just so I can throw it in the sink. Well, it would be like a special sink, probably in like your laundry room that's giant or something. But and, there's still like recycling uh, and stuff, right? You can't put like pop cans and like cardboard boxes and stuff down your drain. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> you obviously don't have a septic. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, it's um. All right. So we need a. It, if you can get it all to a centralized location. So part of okay, there's part of the problem is that it's annoying having to go around and gather garbage from all those little tiny garbage things in each room. So to that end, I suggest something like a central vacuum system. Hmm. So that so that you put everything into the garbage bin and every once in a while the bottom just opens up and goes like and then sucks it all into like the place in the basement. Do you need bins in the cool. first place though? Like can you not just in every room have some kind of garbage receptacle or something that's hooked up to your bin system? Oh, man. Okay. You know, I don't know if any of you have a central vac. I don't actually have it, but I've seen this in other people's houses. It's a, there's a little like kick plate and you kick it yeah. open yeah. and it sucks and you can like sweep stuff into it. You can sweep right into it. Yeah. Yeah. So you just need that in every room. So you just sort of like throw stuff on the ground and kick it into like the garbage. Like be like, you can put a little like goalie net in front of it and like kick garbage into it. That's cool. And See, like, that works for some garbage. Like I'm thinking like I'm crumbling up a piece of paper, but other garbage, I don't want to throw it on my ground. <laughs> My ground is cleaner than that. And how do you sort it? Like, how do you say, like, how do you tell it that it's recycling versus non-recycling versus compostable? And do you want to, like, take all your compost and just throw it on the floor and then, like, kick it into a hole? I I guess, like, depending, you could, organics, you could, uh, would just be a matter of time, right? If If you, like, put everything together and shred it all up, and then you gave it some time for the organics to, like, break down. And then you sort of hosed it down as it was going out. That would wash most of the organic stuff away. I mean, you're the one who has a baby who uses disposable diapers. I'm assuming you don't want to, like, take the diaper off and just throw it on the floor and kick it into a corner. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Sometimes that'd be awesome. Sometimes that would be disastrous. (laughs) I want to say most of the time that would be disastrous. (laughs) That's probably true. Um, Okay. Okay. so it's but gotta I like, be I like, so, I like where your head's at. I like the idea of having some sort of like receptacle to a centralized system in every room. It's just details. Well, that would, I mean, that would be that'd be the advantage of having little bins is that you could sort it in each like individual location, and the bins wouldn't have to be big. Like where you would normally have a garbage bin, you have a bunch of tiny bins for like different kinds of one one for garbage, one for organics, one for recyclables, mm-hmm. and then because because they're all getting sucked down to the central location, you're not like. You're you're not worried about the size of the garbage can because you're not like storing up a week's worth of garbage there. You're just throwing something into it, and then once it detects it's at a certain level, it just like sucks it down into storage. That's true. It could be very small and discreet looking. Yeah, well, like it doesn't have to be a giant. Yeah, especially because like in at least in our area, they're only picking up garbage every other week and then recycling yeah. on the other weeks. So it's yeah, like it'd be nice to have it out of sight, out of mind, kind of thing. Hmm. I think it's definitely doable. And then in that case, once you have all of the recycling or all of your um, waste in a central location, where does it go from there? How do you get it to the street? Um, other than like the auger? I like the auger. Yeah, but you, you, need, you need to take your garbage bin out to the street, right? You can't just like auger it onto the sidewalk and then... <laughs> <laughs> that, that's probably <laughs> true. No. Okay, no, but th- but then at that point, all all it is is basically like you run a pipe out un- under your driveway, and it pops up beside your like beside your uh, 
where your driveway meets the road. And then the garbage truck just comes along and has a little port that drops on and like sucks it up into the car or into the truck as it goes by. Oh. Like it would just be, it would, it would just link up and like down, I don't know, download your garbage into the truck. <laughs> 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 and you could and then be, if as, as long as you have data going along with it you could multiplex you only need one tube it just shifts as, as the garbage is going through <laughs> oh god um it was yeah i mean sorry there's a lot of things going through my brain right now <laughs> <laughs> no no you're, you're just awestruck by how awesome this idea is i mean you have to have like integrity checks to make sure all the garbage made it just in case there's like a piece of garbage missing you have to check your check bit to make sure it's there and <laughs> oh my god <laughs> anyway yeah. i'd just say like the last thing through is always a barcode with a bunch of like parody bits on it oh my god I was just going to bring it back to the centralized system. Uh, my concern with something like that is that if the tubes and stuff are deep within your house, that uh, there's some chance for spillage and like odors and stuff. Mm, that's that's true. my concern. Because then how do you clean that? What if- Especially if it's like inside your walls. Yeah, then it might just be gross. Is there some sort of like like thing like you could set up some sort of like parasitic relationship with something that could sort of live in the tubes and feed off of the refuse that's there and it I don't know, keeps I mean, everything clean. <laughs> like a gelatinous you know, you, cube. Something like like a like like <laughs> happy little mice or something, like friendly guys <laughs> that are just like super harmless. <laughs> well then why don't you just make something that eats your garbage to start with? Okay. Just like little natural garbage receptacles that consume the garbage. Again, it'd be hard with cans and bottles and styrofoam and stuff like that, but... Mm-hmm. Organics, yeah. well, I mean, I mean, you already kind of do that. If you have a compost bin, you're basically just like making a house for worms. Yeah. So, I mean, that's... You, you could do that with... Like, if you had the central, like, centralized system, you could just dump it into the backyard and have like an actual compost <laughs> that bin. It makes it but... sound like the entire planet is just a house for worms. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess technically that's true. <laughs> a really big, complex worm farm. <laughs> um, okay, so I, I, I think I could deal with like having to bring my garbage to a certain point in each, like on each floor. So it could just be like straight up shoots, even then, just down to the like down to the basement. Oh, but, but I, li- I like the idea of getting it out to the street, like through a tube, so I don't have to like get the bins out and cart them to the corner of the street. And the, like the machine that picks up the bins and dumps them into the truck is always, I don't know, it always seems like way more work than it needs to be. No, it's true. Like a lot of in the country, especially when you've got lots of animals, you can sometimes keep your garbage bins at the curb in a kind of a little house. Um, mm. Weirdly enough, also in the country, they have a little house at the end of your driveway for your kid to sit in when he's waiting for the bus. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, so you just need like a, you so just need cute. an outbuilding for it. Yeah, exactly. But you could you could throw your bins in there, and then they could have the shoots going in, dumping stuff in there, and then you could basically just on the appropriate day of the week at the appropriate time, you could just have it kind of shove the right bin out onto the street, or just like open up like the the little house like unfolds, and your garbage cans remain standing there. I suppose so. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Something like that. I could like work. it saves. The, our, our, the original discussion we always trended towards like have a robot that goes around and, coll- and collects stuff but that seems so much more complicated than just having tubes mm-hmm. so I'm wondering if instead of sucking up the garbage it takes the entire garbage receptacle and like encloses it and shoots that almost like a capsule through the house so that it's cleaner does that make sense okay like so little... like, 
like the little yeah. vacuum message tubes. Yeah, kind of. So all of your garbages are like kind of standardized and it kind of once it's kind of full, it kind of puts a lid on it maybe and then then it sucks it the entire thing through the floor yeah. as opposed to just the garbage at the bottom. I mean, what is the most likely source of odor? It's going to be organics. Like you're not going to get a whole lot of odor from pop cans and stuff like that. And you could probably say that typically organics are going to be in your kitchen where you're making food. So if you just had it linked up to mm-hmm. your sink, like a garbage disposal, like you were saying, and you basically just have it. Whenever you have organics, you dump them in the sink. They go through a, a chute with a bit of water and they just get dumped out into a compost bin in your backyard. You only have that one tube and there's a water supply that you can clean it out with. So it's like a water slide for organics. Yeah. Okay. But instead of like shredding them up like you do with a garbage disposal, it's actually just going like in its entirety out to the back. Sure. I mean, and then for the rest of the tubes, I mean, you'd probably have to clean them out every now and then. You could have a little sprinkler system or something that's built in that can wash them out. Hmm. You can, just, you you like, can just like just... sluice it through out into the garbage bins. Or you just dump a bunch of like ball bearings into the vacuum tube. You have one really loud day, <laughs> but it like rips everything across the sides. <laughs> like pounds of sand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like it's the uh the uh, plumbing snake only. Yeah, it's a sand blaster that goes through. <laughs> yeah. I feel like bathing in sand is a good idea. We have we have birds in our front yard that bathe in sand. It always seems like fun. Yeah. It That's just seems gritty a non sequitur if I ever heard it. It is indeed. Chinchillas too. <laughs> anyway, I'm getting a little off topic. <laughs> <laughs> if you can bathe in it, it should be good enough for your garbage tubes. <laughs> <laughs> all right so all right let's let's see where did we end up we ended up with like a central system okay did we did we say we were okay with stuff getting sucked down like a big central vac system then as long as the organics get dealt with separately yeah i can dig it i think it's fine as yeah as long as you take care of the odors i mean the cleaning part's kind of cool too because then you can sort of spring up a whole micro economy of like service men who can or service women who can come and clean things and check things and it's a. It's not just like a single installation from a single company. You've got like a whole ecosystem. We are job creators. <laughs> we're we're going to make America great again. See, now we're just going to get a lot of telemarketing calls though about people like oh, I can God. clean your garbage tubes and yeah, yeah. the duct the duct cleaning company. We're in your neighborhood. Never... If it's good yeah. enough for chinchillas, it's good enough for your garbage tubes. <laughs> uh, Pete's already writing ad copy. Okay. <laughs> All right, I think I think that's a good solution. Everything has to go through tubes, tubes. Yep. All, all get all, right. all the trash just gets sucked through a series of tubes. Yep, into a dump truck. So as smoothly as we normally do. Uh, hey, Adriana. <laughs> Why, hello. <laughs> you, you 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 were uh, you were rather quiet through that, but that's okay. We we're we that was more absurd than it sometimes is. Don't blame you at all. He has integrity <laughs> and reputation. <laughs> He's sitting there just shaking his head, be like, oh. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Why don't you, uh, why don't you introduce yourself and, uh, tell us how you became an engineer? Tell us what, what brought you into the world of engineering. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. Uh, my name is Adriano Basso. I am currently, uh, director of IT for a little company called Butterfield and Robinson. And uh, according to nice folks at Travel Leisure, we are the best travel company in the world. Or we were last year. This year, we're only the second best. Um, specifically, <laughs> we do cycling and walking trips all over the world. And we're headquartered here in Toronto, Canada. That's awesome. Cool. Cool. Um, but, but as you mentioned, I am actually an engineer. Um, even though I don't practice engineering per se in my day-to-day, 
I'm still proud to wear the, the iron ring, and I've got a, a certificate somewhere here with a stamp somewhere next to it. Um, <laughs> so I've, and I've been working for quite a while. I graduated back in 97, and I've, uh, as we'll talk about, I think, over the next little while, over the next few minutes, uh, a varied career. Um, mm. But how it all got started was, uh, gosh, when I was in, I think, grade 10, I remember coming home and uh, announcing to, to my family, my immediate family, that I discovered my career. I was going to be a lawyer. I knew exactly what I was going to do. I, I had it all figured out. And you followed uh, your dreams to this day. <laughs> well, fortunately for me, uh, my uncle was happened to be home that weekend. My uncle's a, a fuel specialist, or was a fuel specialist up at Chalk River as part of the nuclear um, uh, research community here in Canada. Mm-hmm. And uh, I came around the corner. I was excited to see him. And my first words: "Hey, Zoo Johnny, I'm going to be a lawyer." And he kind of cocked his head sideways and he said. Don't be a lawyer. We've got too many lawyers. Go be an engineer. <laughs> I like this guy. <laughs> but, but the funny thing is the next, like the thing that blasted through my mind next was, oh my God, I don't want to drive a train. And <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> that was the first time I had ever heard of engineering. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. That's interesting. Cause it's not like most people don't make it that far without having like, especially if you're, if you've got a, uh, an interest in technology or an interest in, in tech that, It'd be it'd be odd to make it that far through your life without even considering it. I know. I I, I blame myself. There was lots of lots of people around that could have told me about engineering had I sought it out. But no, no, I was going to mm. be a lawyer, right? Yeah. So fortunately for me, I had a couple of years to uh, to to correct that path. And this is back in the age of grade thirteen. Um. So after high school, I went from a, a very small great high school in the city of Guelph, Ontario, to University of Toronto, which is kind of bigger. Mm. Slightly. Um, a little bit. It, that would, yeah, that'd be a bit of a shock. A little bit, yeah. Um, did mechanical engineering here at U of T. Um, actually, and you spoke with one of my, my classmates, Cameron Barami, uh, a few mm. weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we were, we were both part of that, uh, class of 97 in mechanical engineering. And we both did professional experience years, which is a co-op. Um, or that's what they call co-ops at University of Toronto anyway. The different distinction being that it's typically a 16 month term all at once, as opposed mm-hmm. to the Waterloo variant of four month terms. Mm-hmm. And I did process control engineering at a, a little company called Celestica. It was a, uh, um, I had broken away from IBM manufacturing and was manufacturing a bunch of different things in and around the computer hardware space. So okay. that was my introduction to real engineering and uh, my first taste of it. Mm-hmm. Nice. What was your your feeling about mechanical engineering? Because we, we, it's interesting. We had a talk with um, with Jason uh, not too long ago, who went from uh, went to electrical and didn't like that. Went back to mechanical. So uh, it's interesting to to know your background as a mechanical. Um, what was what was your feeling about being out in the real world and in, in the mechanical engineering field? So I was doing when I was a Celestia, I was doing process control engineering, mm-hmm. and there were definitely mechanical elements to it, um, but it was more on the informatica side. Okay. So, uh, even though we got to deal with things like uh, a little waterfall of solder, which is how they actually put chips onto boards, um, mm-hmm. and the mechanical properties or thermodynamic properties of that, um, I wasn't doing day-to-day mechanical work. It was really more process control engineering. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, but I thought mechanical engineering was great. I still do, actually. You know, just even walking to work, looking around, looking at the really, really interesting cars and vehicles we're producing now, I, I'm interested in how they work and, and what makes them tick. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had gone into mechanical engineering because I, I really wanted to get uh, and be a part of the aerospace program. 
So, uh, but hmm. more, more on that in a few minutes. Right. Um, <laughs> I have a, a bit of a path actually, which deviates very, very quickly. Um, <laughs> so in between third and fourth year, I, I'm not sure if you guys had this as well, but between third and fourth year, um, I had a, an opportunity to, to kind of figure out what I was going to do. Uh, found myself at the career center and, um, saw a poster on the wall from a, an, a U.S. consulting firm offering a free long weekend in Chicago. All expenses paid, lead, paid leadership training course. Wow. Wow, and that sounds not, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Not being one to shy away from someone to pay for me to travel and being, in, you know, going to fourth year, I thought this would be great. So I, I applied for it and uh, I was I selected to go from the University of Toronto um, and went down and spent a, a long weekend in St. Charles, uh, Illinois. Um, and at the end of the weekend, the cab ride on the way back, the, the fellow from the office in Toronto turned, uh, turned over and, or turned back to the back seat and told the three of us who had come from, uh, from Canada that congratulations, that was actually, um, the first three stages of the interview process. So. <laughs> Sneaky. Yeah. Whoa. Unbeknownst to us. So he kind of smiled and said, well, there's a fourth interview, but enjoy fourth year. You basically have a job queued up. Wow. What? Yeah. (laughs) Surprise, you're an adult. That's (laughs) (laughs) That and a salad spinner and you're an adult. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. uh, So fourth year was was fantastic because, you know, I didn't have to worry too, too much about it. I I had to worry about what was this case interview that was going to be the the last interview. And... uh, so yeah, I graduated and started work at a management consulting firm and uh, immediately deviated, like left my engineering skills behind and instead focused more on my software development skills. Hmm. Yeah. How much, uh, how much software development training did you have going into it? Because I have a lot of colleagues that have come into software. I think we like really early on in the podcast, we talked to Safwan as an example, who came out of electrical and straight into software. Like, how was that transition from mechanical to software? Um, let's see. I, I'll answer the question by saying the languages I learned were assembler. Um, yeah, nice. and what else did I learn? For, uh, there's a, uh, we learned Fortran. So mm-hmm. like really engineering-ish languages yeah. and a, a language called Turing, which is an object-oriented language, which wow. nobody outside of, I think, University of Toronto used. I was talking about Turing a couple episodes ago. Yeah. yeah. Oh, seriously? Yeah. We used Turing in my mm-hmm. high school. <laughs> Aha. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And so when you start telling people, you know, touring, and they kind of did the same thing, my uncle did, they kind of cock out his head and went, what is that? Yeah. What, yeah. what are you doing? <laughs> no, so it was, it was basically the, the program that, to, that I was brought into with the company was included training. So they just hired people that were uh, fresh out of school and were willing to work hard and, and you know, somewhat clever and uh, put them to work. So we had six weeks to learn how to code in C. Oh, wow. Well. That's yeah. Awesome. Like with like, so how do you do that? How do you teach yourself to code in C in that sort of situation? Do you just like, because I'm assuming back then there wasn't reams of websites and tutorials and videos on YouTube and stuff like that to yeah to to help. How do you how do you how how make that how? happen? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so this is 1997. Um, we all had email accounts coming out of university. There were websites. Mozilla was out. Mm. Uh, sorry, Netscape was Netscape a, Navigator. A That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah we'd move me on bulletin boards, but not too, too far. Uh, honestly, there's this uh, a thin blue, uh, white and blue covered book that we all had 
called Learning to Program in C. And I bet you if I dig around, I can still find it here somewhere. Um, <laughs> those, are the, those are the kind of books that you're like, you, later on, you're like, I should really get rid of this. Yeah. But what if I need to know how to program in C? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> I used to buy books like that for the same reason. I'd see them at well, like thrift the stores and be like, oh man, I could, I think I want to know how to do like, uh, UML programming. That'd be useful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's why I've still got my first year physics books because, you know, just in case. Yeah. Um, so basically, like to answer the question, it was really about, um, taking the coursework that had been developed for as part of the onboarding program. And, and we, there was a very formal onboarding program that included teaching people how to code. Um, and it, the expectation was you would come out of that, that those six weeks and be able to code. Now, from there, as you went, we were released onto projects and and um, and the, the the like. You would learn even more, and there would always be senior people there, kind of guiding you and training you along the way. Mm-hmm. So my first gig was in uh, New Brunswick, and I immediately learned how to code COBOL, which you guys probably have heard of in legend yeah, but no I've, yeah. he- I've heard the name but i can't say i've ever actually seen it in application <laughs> yeah i've only ever well, heard it a little bit yeah uh well I-, I hadn't either before arriving there so don't feel bad about that at all um <laughs> it's a it- it's a fairly straightforward language to learn and it has a lot of english in it so it i i credit my uh my supervisors at the time for just being patient with me and uh being willing to let me work longer hours to kind of figure out how it all worked. And that mm. was the beginning of software, uh, software development, software architecture, and opening up a bunch of doors for me um, in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, worked out well. It, it's it's also, it's interesting because you, uh, I mean, the journey that you're talking about from, uh, from a, pretty much any engineering program into yeah. programming has become a lot more of a, uh, a regular thing for like, uh, there's a lot of people who you'll speak to who have sort of come out of engineering programs with the knowledge they need to pick up new technical skills. And yep. then they go into, de- into software development because that's where there's lots of demand. Uh, but it's interesting because you were, you were taking that journey, uh, a decade before it became sort of the norm. <laughs> so it's interesting to hear that that was like that, that that was already something that was happening in the in the the late 90s. Oh yeah. And it, and it predated me as well. Mm-hmm. Um but there was a uh the PEO, the Professional Engineers of Ontario had just come out with the software engineering uh track to become certified as an engineer and and I was fortunate enough to be able to qualify under that. So that's how between that and the work I did at Celestica, I became a a, a certified engineer. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Cool. Yeah, and I think it's much more co- like it's become much more common and much more rote to be able to go down that path. But it was it was really interesting the the uh, investigation of software development, those skills, and trying to make them up with typical engineering skills where I wasn't trained as a software engineer, so or a computer engineer. Do you think mm-hmm. it was uh, that gave you a different perspective, like coming at it from mechanical versus coming at it from a software background, like the, the way um, that you approach problems with software? Possibly, um, it was definitely more of a systems approach. So, as a, I, we would approach things the same way we do with a mechanical system, looking at inputs and outputs, and looking for negative and positive feedback loops. Um, so maybe, but I've got to say, I was surrounded by clever people, so <laughs> I don't think it was very much my approach. It was more like being able to peer over someone's shoulder and go, "Oh yeah, that's how you do that." Oh, okay. <laughs> 
And if you guys, yeah, there's, ever... a lot, there's a lot to be said for that kind of put, putting a bunch of people together to figure things out who are in the same sort of position and and let them sort of use each other as sounding boards to to learn more effectively. Yeah, ironically, that's what I do with SolidWorks now. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> we all do it now. It's just in different ways. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah. We, sometimes we have to be a little bit more coy about it and not go, "Oh my God, I spent an hour trying to figure that out." There's the sequel. God. <laughs> yep. So um. So the journey continues uh, after mm-hmm. three and a half years at the consulting firm, which was great to me, uh, and traveling. Uh, I spent a year and a half in Washington, D.C., and like I said, time in New Brunswick and time back here in Toronto. Um, I decided that I was going to go be a real engineer. And uh, for the first and last time in my career, I responded to a newspaper ad and hmm. was uh, interviewed oh. and hired by um, a company called MD Robotics in, in uh, Brampton. Mm-hmm. And I was hired as the uh, SRMS test engineer. Uh, and I was an intermediate test engineer. Uh, SRMS is um, the Canada arm, more commonly known. Mm-hmm. It's the uh, oh. yeah the uh, the manipulator arm that that hung on the side of the space shuttle program. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. So that was that was my dream job. It was uh, it was what I really really hoped um, I was going to be doing in mechanical engineering. And uh, moved to Brampton, and, and it was all it was good. It was interesting. But this is two thousand now. And the, mm-hmm. the, um, the siren of, uh, the dot com bubble was just too hard to resist. <laughs> you had all these newfound skills in software engineering just sitting on the back burner, I guess. Yeah, they were, they were idling. And while I was mm. practicing real engineering, and I think I did my first, um, differential equation for the first time <laughs> in four years while I was there. Wow. But, uh, a friend of mine, uh, his, his girlfriend and now wife actually had just joined a tiny little startup here in Toronto that had basically been incubated in the, the three found in the founder's bedroom. So it wasn't quite a garage. It was a bedroom because it was a condo mm-hmm. and, and I'm sure they could have used the, um, the garbage disposal system you guys were talking about <laughs> earlier. <laughs> there was an arms race, but that's overtake of the garbage, but that's a whole different story. Um, they had moved down to young and King and had secured some office space there. And I was the, uh, the fourth developer to join the team. Wow. Yeah. And it was, exciting. It was super yeah. exciting. Um, we worked super long days and it was basically building up um, a cloud-based offering before there was cloud-based offerings. Huh. Before um, there was the term for cloud-based offerings. <laughs> yeah. We called it application service providers or ASPs for short. And mm-hmm. the sales cycle was 50% convincing people that it was okay to give us your data and 50% convincing people that they wanted marketing automation. That was a space we were in, marketing automation, mm-hmm. which in the day typically meant email, lots of email. Mm-hmm. And uh, the founders had come up with a, a kind of a more interesting way of wrapping the um, uh, the technology. And we did things like wrap a website so you could see how people were coming and going from your website and, mm-hmm. and doing things now that are just considered pedestrian. But at the time, it was brand new. We were writing code and, and breaking new ground. So really, really interesting stuff. Mm. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> that's super interesting. It, it, it's, yeah. it's interesting because yeah, well, these are things that we take for granted now. Like we were talking to uh, to Tyler about doing the like marketing tools and hosting video online and that sort of thing, and those the ability to track what people are doing and the information about them has become so ingrained in that uh, in in that media that it's not even something you really think about. But at the time, it was not 
it, there wasn't the technology yeah. basis for you to, to build on mm-hmm. to just like, okay, I'm going to get this package that does all this tracking for me. It's like, you got to go right down to the level of here's the, getting all the data and, and dealing with it be, like piece by piece. Yeah. Abe wrote the HTML, the, no, the JavaScript that generated HTML that did all that from scratch. Mm. Like there was no bootstrapping. <laughs> it was just sitting down and, um, my fellow developers, it was Steve and Abe were two of the founders and Andrea was the, uh, the heavy lifter when it came to our database. She was our, our, um, our database guru. And yeah, like I said, truly breaking new ground and figuring out how this stuff should work. And we just, the tool set had just been mature enough. We had a Microsoft tool set. It was just mature enough to be able to support what we were trying to do That's and so to cool. do it in a production environment. Yeah. It's, yeah. Also, it's also funny that uh, you were saying the sales cycle was 50% convincing people that they could give you their data. That's probably pretty much still the same for enterprise level cloud. It's like, Still at the level where most enterprise applications, at least in smaller companies, don't want to let go. They don't want to let it drift off somewhere outside the building. Yeah, uh, we're seeing we're seeing a lot more of it though. We were mm-hmm. trying to ride the coat sales of Salesforce.com, which is a, a CRM player, which the only option you have is to give them your data. And so it's uh, yeah, it's a, the trust exercise was was a really interesting one, especially for a startup. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, so absolutely. Super interesting though. And mm-hmm. like I said, uh, Steve still jokes actually. He used to call me the slacker because I'd go home before the subway would close. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it was, uh, it, it was really, really interesting work. For a small company, um, we were, I, I was also the oldest one in the, in the group. I was 20, 26. So yeah, they yeah. call me old man Basso for that. So you can imagine actually the, uh, <laughs> the energy and the excitement of people who were, working really, really hard and trying really, really hard to make go of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really. What was so, it like uh, also going from a larger company like uh, MDA down to a smaller startup? Was it like a, a little bit jarring or was it a relief? Like, what was that like? Um, it was it was interesting. Like, work, it was the smallest firm I'd ever worked for. Um, but it was also great because we had the... F- the freedom to kind of build and grow and, and do and, and today use the word pivot, but really to tack and, and drive towards whatever we wanted to do. Um, mm. We had angel investment at the time and the founders had put in a lot of their own uh, stake in the business and being in the development team where two of the three founders sat was also really kind of nice because we, we were able to influence a lot of the decisions and just evolve as quickly as we could that code base. Yeah. Yeah, cool. the, the the agility of a program or of a project like that would be pretty amazing if you're coming from, uh, especially if you're dealing with like space robotics. I imagine there is a fair bit of <laughs> like a lot of structure behind. Uh, you, you couldn't make agile decisions very very easily in that. I imagine. <laughs> no, there was there was uh, yes, we we would do a, a build to production once a week. Every Sunday we'd build the production. So uh, you can imagine actually for I think it was three years we would do that. And it was just trying to run as fast as we could. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, it, it meant testing in production sometimes, which if you guys write code, probably you understand that's not the best idea. Not a not good idea. Ideal. Not- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the joke was, that, yeah, we'll document it someday. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's always alluring, though, to, to sort of be like, well, you know, if there's a problem, they'll let us know. It's fine. It says meta. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. But it was really, really interesting. I, I mm-hmm. really enjoyed it. Yeah. It's interesting too, um, just in my limited experience going from a large company where I was doing co-op terms to the smaller company where um, where we work now, 
um you get a lot more experience with a diverse range of of sort of tasks like i feel like when you work for a large company you're sort of responsible for a sub 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 component of something whereas at smaller companies it's sort of like you're responsible for this entire aspect of the platform but you can also do some sales and marketing if you feel like doing some other other things you can branch into all sorts of other aspects of the business like there's a lot of flexibility for what you can sort of learn and attach yourself to and gain more experience whereas it's not just sort of like this is the small little job that you have yeah. for yourself absolutely and and you can you can see your direct um the correlation between your effort and the actual results because absolutely. you actually built that module or you're responsible for this entire mm-hmm. side of the business so there, there's definitely some great things that come from working with small firms. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you said you did that for three years? I think it was three and a half. Mm-hmm. Call, call it three years just in case. All right. And then I was having dinner with a friend of mine who was uh, a lawyer and had just been brought in to help um, with a horse racing company. Okay. And, yeah. All right. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so they needed it. They, they had actually acquired um, uh, 13 racetracks in the U.S. and some of the biggest actually racetracks in the U.S. as well, some very storied ones. And they needed a technical project manager to help the tech team with um, some deployments and, and just shoring up the technology across these new acquisitions. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I did in whenever I kind of hear really, really exciting things like that, I said, well, I'll, I can help you with that. And before I knew it, I was, uh, I was moving out to, uh, Aurora and had joined the, uh, uh, the horse racing firm. Um, yeah. So that's, that's such a good, like, lateral step. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was such a different, interesting industry that I had never been a part of before. And, and mm-hmm. I had never even been to the track before this. So it was, uh, yeah, it was absolutely different. Um, same thing though. It was a small team that had been assembled. There was, uh, the CIO and then my, the VP and then me, and we were kind of the bulk of the, the tech team here in Canada. There was a tech team in the U.S. as well that actually did the coding, but we were responsible for kind of getting everything up and running for mm-hmm. um, some of the amalgamations of, of the systems. And uh, that was a, a year-long whirlwind that took me to um, some of the, mo- the coolest places, like being trackside at the, the Preakness, which is the middle jewel of the Triple Crown, mm-hmm. to... Um, some small tracks where you realize, wow, this is, this is going to take a lot of work and mm-hmm. a lot of hard work. So really, really interesting stuff. But, um, it was project management as opposed to actually, uh, hands-on work. Mm-hmm. And so and how, how, how did you find that transition? Cause again, it's one of these going from a big company to a small company and then going from a, from a small group to a pro like taking management of a, of a yeah. project. It would be a very different, uh, like what you're doing every day would change drastically. Mm-hmm. How'd you find that transition? Well, I had kind of, I'd done it deliberately even because I thought, well, this would be a good thing from a, uh, a, mat- a maturity perspective, you know, moving up my career, being mm-hmm. less hands on. Um, and it was okay, but I missed it. I missed the hands-on. I'm, and if you guys both like, if you all write code, you know, like the, the daily rewards or the hourly rewards you get from writing code stopped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, uh, there's something to be said about that, that rewarding feeling about conquering these, these tiny obstacles along the way towards building a product. Yeah. It's finally getting one, something to work or seeing something yeah. that spit out, spit out the response you expect and. I mean, for me, that's so, why I got into engineering. It was to for that feeling when you get something <laughs> to work, when you create something yeah. from scratch and it does what you wanted it to do, and it's 
it's a it's a rush that yeah you don't get from like answering an email or going to a meeting yep. yeah yeah <laughs> and now you're a manager <laughs> and now i manage a software project <laughs> Uh, so I did make a move. I went back into, this time into a small boutique consulting firm, and uh, I was doing hands-on work. So uh, impl- implementing um, a CRM system, and this is the Salesforce.com system I mentioned earlier. I went and did that for a little while. Uh, the company was based in New York, but I was based out of my home office in Aurora, which was interesting. And do you three work from home, or is this, uh, or do you all you uh, have an office you work in? We we have an office, but we uh, we infrequently. But like, I'm usually about once one day a week. I'm working okay. from home, so mm-hmm. I used to. So <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> you became a manager. <laughs> <laughs> well, working from home for long stretches, uh, I didn't really understand what that meant until I, I found myself having to drive to a coffee shop just to talk with people during the day that mm. weren't uh, that weren't client facing. So uh, yeah, it was a little lonely, to be perfectly honest. Mm. Working from mm. home by myself. Yeah, I don't think I could imagine doing it more than like one day a week is kind of nice because you get you get away from people walking up to your desk. But doing it every day of the week would be a whole different ball game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm the sort of person where I won't even call people. I'll go and walk over to their desk to chat with them because I find calling them to be impersonal. So yeah, I I, I think I'm the same. I could probably only tolerate maybe a day a week. But that, I mean, that, that only works because we work at a small enough company. If you work at anything much larger than like a few hundred people, then you can't, even that's not really feasible. So fair enough. Yeah. It's a lot of walking. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know some people love it. Like they, they really enjoy the, the uh, working from home and then commuting on an as needed basis. But, but I miss people. I missed actually mm-hmm. the interaction. So, um, I'm going to fast forward a little bit. Uh, there mm-hmm. was, uh, another consulting firm, uh, um, some insurance work. I actually did work for uh, an insurance firm. And then, uh, sorry, that was out of order. There was uh, insurance work and then a consulting firm. And this time the consulting firm did two things. They did finance and they did more traditional engineering type software. So nuclear work. Okay. And, and I found myself working at um, uh, Darlington and, and Pickering. Uh, helping oh, them from with a from a systems perspective, though, so helping them to build out and design some of their systems, and uh, it was kind of cool actually working in, in and around people who were dealing with nuclear uh, in their day to day. So it was kind of mm-hmm. fun. Um, There's also some finance work working for a bank down in uh, Boston, and then um, the leap over to Indigo, <laughs> the book company. Of course. Oh, cool. <laughs> All right. Man, your career segues like our podcast does. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nice. There, you'll like this, though. There's a linear progression in that one of the guys that used to come in and help us whiteboarding back in the day at our startup had since become a VP at Indigo. Wow. And, but hmm. somehow I got connected back up with him, and uh, he was looking for a, a systems architect uh, for marketing and retail. And I was just happened to be tall enough or, or whatever and he offered me the gig <laughs> so uh i joined indigo and uh got to work w- with retail systems and it was the first time i de- dealt with retail systems um uh, up close and personal and it was it was really interesting uh we we did retail we did loyalty systems so if you guys actually shop at the the indigo brands you'll know what i'm talking about mm-hmm. from the two different loyalty programs mm-hmm. um and we were ankle deep in, in spinning up the uh, the non-paid program, so that the, it's now called Plum Rewards. Yeah. And uh, dealing with the the point of sale system and the credit card transactions and all that kind of good stuff behind the counter and in and around the stores. 
So yeah, that was a lot of design work. Lots yeah, and is. lots of design work. So that was ground. When you up, consider right? the ground, yeah. And when you consider the ground that's got to cover, like the number of locations and the amount of like the number of people that must have those cards, it's pretty mind boggling. Yeah, it was pretty wow. cool actually. We had uh, my colleague um, who is still there did an amazing job of structuring the entire program, and uh, I was just responsible for for one one portion of it, making sure the one one kind of segment of it all worked correctly. But uh, but yeah. It was it was pretty exciting, building up for what would be a, a fairly successful loyalty point system here in Canada. So that was just mm-hmm. that. I'm assuming you had more, a larger group than just the two of you, or yes, yeah. oh oh yes, <laughs> Ab- absolutely. The the entire I, I had a, a colleague. Um, so my, my title was uh, architect, and I had a peer who was an architect, and he took care of the online systems and uh, making sure that the website actually did and could do what they wanted to do. There was an entire online group that was uh, that, that was uh, dedicated to that, and we had an entire retail group as well who were responsible for making sure that all the retail systems functioned correctly. Hmm. So, neat. yeah, and some there were some neat little initiatives. So even it was a bigger company, but it was nice because uh, uh, the group became a, more agile the longer I stayed, and we even tried to do a couple of really tiny, really fast charging. Um, pilots that uh that the one that i worked on unfortunately didn't actually quite stick but we did get a launch in the store and it was really kind of cool but uh yeah it's no longer which is tough mm-hmm. yeah. I, as mm-hmm. i'm sure everyone's seen when you work really really hard on a project and you've got everyone mo- mobilized to execute it's tough when it doesn't actually get uh get beyond the pilot stage yeah, yeah. for sure I imagine that's like talk. We talk sometimes about the like the ten percent projects, things like at Google and various companies now, where you can spend a bunch of time on a, on a pet project yeah. or development project. And I could see that being you get really, really emotionally invested in your idea, and then it could go out. <laughs> it goes out and it completely fizzles. And uh, that 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 would be tough. I can't imagine then sitting back. Okay, I got to start a new. Got to come up with something new tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, but what you hope is that you hope you can take elements of that. And plug mm-hmm. it in later on, like e- e- if it gets sunsetted, and yeah. uh, and some of it did. So you know that was that was really good. The methodology did at least. That's a term I haven't heard before. I like that sunsetted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So this is the, the nice way of saying your project just rode off and never came back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's better than it was canned t- or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <Lumped Yeah>. Six, <laughs> <laughs> What's the typical term? Folded. Yeah. Yeah. That's another way of saying it. Interesting. No, but it was good. Um, mm-hmm. so then, uh, kind of out of nowhere came a call for the, my current role. Um, this, this travel company that had been around for 50 years, well, at that point, 45 years. And I had just never heard of because I, I'd never really been that kind of a traveler, um, was looking for someone to come in and help them shore up their, their IT. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the, the magic words of a combination of, uh, technology and hands-on work and running a small team and cycling and travel yeah. and an office in Italy and an office in France. Like, where do I sign up? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so off I went and I joined BNR and, uh, I think I just, I've what, five years and a couple months in now. And it's been quite the ride, actually. Cool. That's yeah. amazing. That's great. Yeah. To sum it up, you can do anything with engineering. You really can. It's all problem solving. 
<laughs> is that the sort of the the thread that you see um coming up again and again in your different roles is the problem solving yeah absolutely yeah. problem solving and, and um and and the, a skill i'm still working on is trying to identify the problem versus the symptoms hmm. that's actually a really really important thing that engineers typically do successful engineers do really really well they can mm-hmm. they can go beyond the symptoms and they can go beyond the um the, the knee jerk solutions and really get to the heart of the problem and when you do that the solutions become much much more interesting and a lot of times more elegant mm-hmm. hmm. it's interesting because the more that i think about the the bridges between mechanical and software and different aspects like that um i might be reading too much into it but it seems like there's a lot to do with the idea of of looking at the individual parts and how they function and how they come together um so it's sort of like focusing on the small components and the parts and stuff like that but also trying to keep in mind the whole and how everything integrates together and functions and connects and things like that it's it, there's a lot of similarities between how you would design a mechanical assembly and how you would design all the software assembly it's true well, it and we we touched on that with the uh with the systems level like the systems engineering uh, episode where it's like once you get into a systems level solving systems level problems uh, whether the system you're looking at is mechanical or electromechanical or software or all of the above you're you're still approaching it from the same point of view of trying to figure out like what's important what it has to do what mm-hmm. your fa- what your failure points are and what your like need to haves versus want to have kind of thing and like you can apply that that same thinking to pretty much any kind solving any kind of problem mm-hmm. it's true and and it's it's even more uh, even more classically things like writing up a an RFP and doing it with uh, doing it mindfully so you actually get the right the out, right outcomes or the right bidders um, structuring projects so you get the right outcome it's yeah it's all about problem solving mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. interesting so um, one of the things we wanted to uh, touch on is, is you've uh, you've given some talk uh, at least a talk on this general subject on what you can do with their engineering degree um what's what's the what's the takeaway from that is it is it just sort of the don't be boxed in by or is there uh is there a different spin you like to put on it um well don't be boxed in it works really 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 well but i i guess mine was more um gosh if you see a really interesting opportunity don't be shy <laughs> like <laughs> if the, the horse racing company comes to you, you say yes, <laughs> and, and not necessarily that. But even even within your, your current roles or within your current firms, somebody's got a, a a wacky idea. Don't be shy to go. You know what? I think we take this on. This might be crazy, but you know why not? So uh, yeah, and and the problem solving skills that you learn or that that I learned, I should make just be talking first person the problem solving skills that i learned um have served me really really well and uh as i go in my career I, I hope to continue to use them so yeah you can do that's the beauty of being an engineer you've got this such, such breadth that that uh that the uh, education and, and training gives you and the the experience just gets gets you into more and more trouble the further you go along with it <laughs> I, I find your description of as yeah getting into trouble as an interesting uh, interesting way to put it yeah because yeah. i mean that's 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 one of the best ways to to learn like to, to force yourself to get good at another to, at a skill or to get better at a particular aspect of your job is to put yourself in a position where that that is a necessity you need to solve a problem because no one else is going to solve it and so getting yourself into trouble can be the the best motivator in that, that situation mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and being willing to get yourself out of the trouble you got yourself into as well. That's important. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just to, to stay positive about your your ability to. I know I can get myself out of this. I just need to I need to find the knowledge that I need and apply it yeah. in, in a in the proper way. Yeah, this it's sounds nice. like a, a good place for you to plug your new tax set, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lear- learning uh, how many iterations of 3D printing. I le- I'm teaching myself 3D printing, and it's Ooh. it's going it's going okay. But yes, there's a there's a lot of things where you get partway through, and it's like, okay, I need to I need to learn how to do this better. <laughs> I, I, I've made a, I made a whole bunch of very interesting lumps of plastic, but none of them are exactly what I want them to yeah. be. <laughs> Abby has like three pencil holders, and like. <laughs> <laughs> they work so well. <laughs> yes, I, I, I'm, I'm the, uh, the the child that keeps making ashtrays. Yeah. Only they're, they're 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 supposed to be very complex, interesting shapes, but uh, sometimes they don't end up exactly how I imagine them. But you know how to get out of trouble, so you, yeah, you know where to, no, yeah, exactly. exactly. It's the it's yeah. it's confidence actually. Part a lot of it is actually to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, and and being willing to 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 try something like that and say, okay, yeah, no, that that didn't work, but that's okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take, as you say, take this. This project did not succeed, but I can take what I learned from this project and move it on to the next one. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. I've never really thought about it, but something that I've found more often with engineers than others, which is, I hope it doesn't come off as being like cocky or anything, but it, I find that it's the ability to look at a problem or look at a particular skill and not be intimidated by not knowing how to do it. Just sort of look at it and say, I don't know how this works or how to do this, but I'm pretty sure I can figure it out. And just, just mm-hmm. sort of dive in and and try to get it to work without sort of saying like, oh, I don't know how to do that and just kind of walk away. Yeah. Yeah, there, it was it was interesting because um, you, uh, we had a discussion about this quite a while ago, but uh, there, there's two conflicting pieces of, of, uh, of advice for engineers like the first is like never like don't lie about what you know what to do like don't tell someone you know how to do it when you don't but at the same time don't ever say you can't do something just because you don't know how to do it right now <laughs> like it, I, I you're right i i don't know how to 3d print but that doesn't mean i couldn't 3d print something <laughs> I, I i'd be i'd be willing to figure it out if that if someone wanted to give me an opportunity to be the guy who designed something 3d printed so <laughs> it's true it's it, it's it's a po- positive spin on maybe I'm just gonna uh, oh who who is someone described it as it's borrowing from the future you 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 say no <laughs> I can awesome. totally do this I, I'm borrowing from future me who will learn how to do this between now and when it has to get done yeah. mm-hmm. we, if I go back to the startup that I worked at we did that all the time don't worry we'll, <laughs> we'll figure it out we had got, we had uh, guys who come back from a sales call okay we need the system to do this uh okay when. Well, before we sign the contract, we want to sign the contract this week, and we told them it's already in. Okay. <laughs> I, I think that might be endemic of of, of any small company because we have that with our sales Sounds guys very too. Familiar. Sure. Like, yeah. We we've started developing this. Oh, I've already sold it. Oh, okay, <laughs> but I sold it for three times as much as you th- said it would cost us, or, or you said that we should sell it for. So it's fine. <laughs> I, yeah, I the, couldn't. I couldn't say no. <laughs> the joke is yeah. we start selling dilithium crystals, though. But yeah. they don't exist. <laughs> well, but I sold it. Go figure it out. No, no. They don't exist. <laughs> oh. All right. No, that's that's great. I like that. It's a good message for the for uh for this one. It's you can borrow from the yeah. future, but uh but one. stay within within the realms of scientific possibility at least. Please. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> in reality, please. Yeah. Firmly rooted in reality. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well that's great. Um 
I'm going to, I guess let's, let's wrap up with a, uh, I, I, I want to say a fun fact, but it's mostly just, I found this thing on the internet and it's really cool. And I think people should look at it. <laughs> um, Simon's cool thing of the week. It's Simon's fun fact of the week. There's, so there's a cruise ship company called MSC. Um, and they're one of like the big names in, in, uh, like large ship cruises, but they've got a bunch of ships that they're like, these ships aren't big enough. So their solution was that they've cut four of their ships in half. And they've just inserted, they made like stretch cruise ships. Um, so they, what? they just cut, they cut them in half and then they built an extra, like, I think it's 80 feet of ship, stick it in the middle, like weld it all together, um, uh, yeah, weld it all together. And then you have a longer ship. And so the, what? The, the pictures are amazing because they built the center part, like with walls and all the rooms and everything all in it already. And they just sort of slide it in and <laughs> weld it all together. I'll, I'll link to the, to an article with some pictures of it because it's amazing. I feel like we have to call Kyle up again and just be like, dude, what, what, what is happening? <laughs> yeah, <really? laughs> so apparently this is a thing that happens now. When you need a bigger cruise ship, you just make like a stretch limo of a cruise ship by, by adding another segment in the middle. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna wrap up again in our normal fashion by floundering for a bit and then telling you about our socials. <laughs> All right, Pete, what's our website? How do you dot engineer, Abby? Not how do you dot engineer, Abby. Thanks, how do you dot engineer? <laughs> or you can e- or you can email us uh, feedback at how do you dot engineer. Uh, and if you'd like to talk to us on social media, you can talk to us on Facebook and Twitter at how do you eng. In case you can't tell, we have borrowed from the future in claiming that we know how to do a podcast, and we haven't quite caught up to the future yet. <laughs> we'll get there. Um, you can uh, also check us out on Reddit at slash r slash how do you eng, and you can listen to us on Geek Life Radio on Mondays at seven. It was about an hour ago, yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. You could, you, you could, uh, oh no, you couldn't still be listening to us if you're listening on Geek Life Radio. You would have just finished listening to us if you were listening on Geek Life Radio right now. Yeah. And once yeah, again, that's that, going to make no sense to the people yeah, listening we, to us. We're recording on Monday. This is going out on Thursday. It'll make no sense whatsoever. And uh, go back in time. Side note: If anyone, one of these days, if somebody emails us and says, "I want to see a video," we'll do video. But I'm not going to figure it out until someone asks for it. Just like uh, sales guys promising the future. Until someone asks, <laughs> I'm not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well. Adriana, thank you so much for uh, for joining us. This has been yeah. really, really cool. I'm uh, I'm now uh, like excited for some for a uh, horse racing company to come out of the blue and offer me a job. <laughs> <laughs> now that I know that now that I know that that's a thing that happens. I know. <laughs> well, thanks for thanks for inviting me on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it was amazing. Thank you.